Thanksgiving, and it, uh, the title of this message is Thanks Living, and because uh, you know Thanksgiving is a day, but we're to be Thanks Living, and in other words, that's supposed to be our life. And so, uh, I want to help you this morning uh, to hopefully be able to do that successfully, uh, because we live in a culture. How many of you went out for Black Friday? Anybody? Black Thursday. Like, because some people went out on Thursday. And, uh, you know, we actually went out uh, to Best Buy and uh, for a few minutes Thursday night. And the line was wrapped around the building. And it's just crazy. And then Target was wrapped all the way around the building. And, you know, everywhere you go, there's just people and stuff. And, and our culture is just so inundated that it's this constant, like, you know, one of, of course, you know, I'm a tech guy. And so I'm looking at TVs, you know, and I'm like, I remember when like flat screen TVs first came out and they were thousands and thousands of dollars. And now, you know, if it breaks, you just go buy a different one. You know, it's not a big deal anymore. And the prices have just continued to come down even more and more and more, you know, and so many times what happens, and I think that, that really, uh, you know, it's kind of like after, you know, you're in that hangover from Thanksgiving dinner and you start looking through the ads, all of a sudden the stuff that you have at home starts looking not so good. Because you looked in the ad and you're thinking, man, I need a new TV. Man, look at those shoes. Those are That's a great price. I'm going to get up in the middle of the night and go to the store because it's worth it. And what happens is that I believe that many times that one of the tricks, especially in our culture that the enemy uses uh, to keep us from truly living a life that is giving thanks continually is to get us discontented with what we have. And, uh, and that happens so easily. I mean, we're marketed to from the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep. Um, you know, whether you realize it or not, Facebook is not a social media network. It is a marketing tool. Now, they call it social media. But if you look, you're getting pitched products constantly as you scroll. Between people's comments, it'll even say, this link is sponsored by. That's a fancy way of saying somebody paid for this space. So that's advertising. We're constantly being pitched product. You know, I mean, you watch TV, you're not even hungry, and then something comes on TV, and you're like, dang, that that's, looks pretty tasty. Maybe I need to go to the kitchen and find something to eat. What, what just happened? You got marketed. You weren't hungry, or maybe, you know, they show, like, you know, I don't know what soft drink it is, but the, inevitably, they're going to show that can open, it's going to be like, and, you know, the moisture from the can, it's like, all of a sudden, you get thirsty. Well, you weren't thirsty, but now all of a sudden, you are. Why? Because of something that you saw. And because of something that you saw now created a discontentment in you that said, hey, I want that. Well, that happens to us all the time. At every, uh, you know, I mean, you can go, you know, watch a movie and then all of a sudden you think, well, you're, you were happy with your marriage before you went into that movie. But then you came out thinking, well, you don't treat me like him or her. And so where you were content just an hour or two before because of comparison now... There's become this dissatisfaction with what we have. You know, and the Bible teaches uh, really multiple times over, and really I want to share about this because I don't believe that it's possible to truly give thanks if, you're, if you aren't in a place or being able to come to a place of being content. And uh, because, why? Because to be thankful means you have to recognize the blessings that are in your life, not the ones that you're waiting for or wanting. Or saying one day when this happens. And so I want to uh, give, we'll just start here It's in Philippians chapter 4. Starting off in verse 10, this is the Apostle Paul who is, I believe, a great example for us. Um, that we can uh, really glean some wisdom from. But here in uh, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. 
It says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. Now, the heading in my, in my translation says that Paul's thanks for their gifts. Because they had sent him an offering. But he says, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. He goes, I know that you have already been concerned about me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. So, in other words, somebody is sending him some money. And he says, look, I realize that you wanted to help me before, but you didn't have the ability. You didn't have the money to help me before. But in verse 11, he says, not that I was ever in need. Now, I think that this is um, something that, especially as Americans, that we have to define. um, Is this, is that a want from a need. Because there are lots of things that I want, but I don't need. I just want them. You know, but we can get into a lot of trouble with things that we want. You know, here recently I had an opportunity, um, you know, to get a different truck. I'm a truck guy. I just am. And uh, so it was a much nicer truck than the one that I had. But the problem was that new truck would also come with a note. There was a moment where I needed that truck. And I could justify that truck. Because why? Because, well, it's an upgrade and I need it. It would just be more comfortable. You know, and it would just be nicer. And it's got this bell and that whistle and these. And it's shiny. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, it, it's shiny. And I, I just, I needed it. You know, but the thing is, the truck I have is paid for. Praise the Lord. Yeah. You know, that's the best kind of vehicle you can have. One that's paid for. And, uh, you know, because, I mean, I'm not against car notes. I have a car note, Dare's car. I mean, just for full disclosure, I have a car note on Dare's car. So I'm not like, you know, getting a loan sin. But I've got one that's paid for. And I got one that I pay a note on. I never say thank you bank every month. That that's not my thought. I'm not like praise the Lord. I get to send some money to the bank. Like it just doesn't happen. But I had to really distinguish between a need and a want because my truck needed some tires. Well, hey, that's you know a little bit more than a truck note. So I can go get some tires pretty quick and not be out nearly as much money. But yet there's that battle, I believe, that we all face between what we need and what we want. You know, and we all face these things and exactly what he says here. And Paul even makes a statement. He says, not that I was ever in need. But yet in the very verse before that, he says, I know that you were concerned about me. Well, why would they be concerned about him if he didn't have a need? I'll let that sit in for a second. Why would they be concerned for Paul if he didn't have a need? Now, this is what I believe is going, I believe they perceived that he had a need that he did not perceive that he had a need for. Now, he goes on to explain this here in these next few verses. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I have learned to be content with whatever I have. Now, this word content has several meanings or definitions, if you will, but it's uh, sufficient for oneself. Sufficient for oneself or another uh, definition is this is that it's strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support. Now, here's my personal favorite definition for this word content. It says that um, it is independent of external circumstances. Being content is being independent of uh, external circumstances. So, in other words, my situation doesn't determine my attitude. My situation doesn't determine what I want or what I need. I determine those things. I say when enough is enough. 
You know, I mean, you know, and even this question, and some of you may have never thought about this, but like how much money is enough money to make? Now, there's lots of variables in this. I'm not anti-money. I kind of tend to use it often as much as I can. And uh, so I'm not against it for sure. I kind of like having it. I've not had it and I've had it. I like having some. And, uh, you know, but that's not always the case. There are times where I've had money and I've either spent that money or it has gone away for whatever reasons. Well, that shouldn't change my day-to-day life experience. Whether I have money in the bank or I don't does not change my value nor who I am. Now, there was a time in my life where it absolutely qualified who I was. But just as Paul says here, he makes a statement. He says, I have learned, which means that this doesn't come natural to any of us. We are all by nature selfish. We are all self-seeking. We always look out for numero uno. That's who we are. But we can actually learn, just as the Apostle Paul did, how to truly be content, which is saying, regardless of my situations and my circumstances, I can be okay. And I can be more than just okay. I can be really good, regardless of the situation. Now, you know, now I'm going to give you this just for context, because Paul obviously is the one writing this. Well, let me keep reading here for these couple of verses. He says, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. So Paul wasn't always broke. There was times Paul had more than enough. He had everything, he says. He says, look, I've learned how to live on almost nothing or with everything. He says, I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it is with a full stomach or an empty one. With plenty or with little. Verse 13. Now most people quote this verse. They just don't read it in context. But it says in verse 13. For I can do everything through Christ. Who gives me strength. Now people quote that verse all the time. But in context of what Paul is saying. He's actually talking about how to live a content life. It's it's actually learning how to depend upon God. To fulfill us. And to help us stay content. Regardless of our situation, circumstances. Whatever may be going on. Whether I'm sick or whether I'm well. I can be content. Whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor. I can be content. Whether everything is going the way I want it to. Or everything is falling apart. And everything is fighting me. I can still learn to be content. And sometimes it's the difference is really our focus or our attitude. It's even in the midst of those moments where it seems like everything is caving in. Well, how do you respond? Do you fold up and just say, oh, the world's falling apart? Or do you begin to lift up your voice and begin to worship God? Saying, God, you are the strength of my life. That, God, I cannot make it through this by myself. But in Christ, I can do all things. Regardless of the pressure, regardless of the weights, it does not matter because you being the greater one is on the inside of me. And because of that, just as Paul says here, look, I've learned to live with a lot and I've learned to live with nothing. But I've had to learn to be content. You know, it's a curious thing in life because the more stuff you get, the more stuff you tend to want. You get something, you know, I mean, I'm bad about this. You can ask my wife. I'll buy something, and then I'm like, I want the newer one. So I want to upgrade. I want to upgrade. It's like, you know, I mean, I'll just use this example. Most of y'all know this. I love tools. I don't need an excuse to buy a tool. I just need them to come out with a new one. Right? 
It's like, well, it's newer. It's not, it's shiny. It's, it's pretty. Now, you may not define tools as pretty, but I do. That's beauty to me, you know. And, uh, you know, and there's this thing in me, though. It's like, well, hey, you know, I was really glad when I got this new tool or whatever it is, and I keep it for a while, and I use it, you know, and then it's like, well, hey, I need to upgrade that. And she's like, well, do you really? That's her question to me. That's not even a question. Of course I do. <laughs> like, why are we talking about this? Did you see it? Like, just, she's like, I don't care. She has this smirk on her face right now. You can't see it, but I can. And yet, even in life, the more things that we get, the more things that you have, the more that you actually want. You have your first house, and then you get out of it, and you're like, well, hey, we're going to upgrade a little bit. And we're going to upgrade a little bit. We're going to upgrade it. And there's nothing wrong with having stuff. The question is about contentment. This is how I define contentment. If the Lord asked you for it right now, how would you feel? Because I can tell you, I just mentioned this a moment ago, I had the opportunity to get a new truck. If the Lord asked me to sew my truck today, I would do it, and I would be happy about it. If I had that new shiny thing, I wouldn't be so happy about it. I've got to be honest. Why? Because there's a contentment thing in me. So I'm not speaking about this from the place of, I got this all figured out. I'm a work in progress. I'm a lot better than I used to be. But I am still working these things. I'm working out my salvation in this area of my life. And yet here, we have to understand that truly being content is the ultimate key to actually living a thankful life. Now, I want to give you some context about uh, Paul here. Over in Acts chapter 16, I want to read you just a couple of verses. Is that Paul, and let me tell you what's going on here before we read these verses. Paul has had a woman following him around for a few days, declaring that he's a servant of the Most High God. And Paul finally gets annoyed. He's much more diplomatic, and he must have been more full of the Holy Spirit, because I would have wanted to turn around and say, shut up. He doesn't say that. But ultimately what happens is, is he commands a demon to come out of this woman. Well, she was a sorcerer, if you will. She was a palm reader. She was, you know, you, she was involved in the occult. We'll just say that. Well, her bosses got mad. Why? Because that's how she made him money, them money. Well, they get mad, so they kind of stir, cause a stir to happen in the city. And here in um, Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 22, it says, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with rods. Now, Paul was just minding his own business. He was going about doing what God had told him to do. A demonic spirit appears, so he deals with it properly. He just says, hey, in the name of Jesus, you have to come out. And the demon left. Well, there was a reaction to his standing in faith, which was that people didn't like it. And so what happens is, is that here's exactly what it says, is that they stripped him and they beat them with wooden rods. Now, Paul was minding his own business. You want to talk about a reason to not be content because the story doesn't stop there. Not only does he get stripped and beaten, but it says in verse 23, it says they were severely beaten and then they were thrown into jail. They were thrown into a prison. It says the the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. So needless to say, Paul and Silas are not in a great place. They've just been beaten, they've been stripped, now they're in great pain. It says they were severely beaten for doing what? For minding their own business. 
really. They were just going about their day, and yet the devil wanted to pick a fight. And so they didn't even really make a scene, but yet the response to what they had done created a massive scene. Well, I think it's very interesting, and it's exactly what Paul was talking about there in Philippians. Because here he is in jail, beaten, bleeding, hurting, locked up, so he can't even like rub his wounds. You know, like when you hurt something, you want to rub it? He can't even do that because he's in shackles. And yet it says here in verse 25 that around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I like the last part of this verse. It says, and the other prisoners were listening. Now, why was everybody else listening? Because this was a peculiar sight. Because most of the other prisoners were probably yelling and screaming and cursing and doing all these other things. And yet here are Paul and Silas praying and just worshiping God. They have in church at midnight. In the, I mean, in the innermost part of the prison, Paul had figured out a way that he could be content even in the midst of his misery. Now, I don't know about you. I've never been beat. I've definitely never been severely beaten. I've never been thrown in jail and I've never been cuffed to a wall. So I can't identify with where Paul is in this moment. And I've definitely never had any of those things happen just because I was doing what God had told me to do. But yet Paul and Silas find themselves in that place, in that moment. And they were able to find contentment even in the middle of that dungeon. Now that's challenging. Why? Because they began to sing songs. They began to worship God. And the response from God was deliverance. Now we're not going to look at it in context or in fullness. You can go read the rest of the story later. Ultimately, they got just supernaturally delivered. Why? Because their contentment had actually created the space or the avenue of which God could deliver them through. See, so many times we, we want to gripe or complain or say these things about, well, I don't have this and I don't have that. And God, if you would do this, and God is saying, if you will just learn to be content, I can work all that out. But because you're not content, I can't move forward. And that's where we get in trouble many times because it, it, saying, God, I, I need more and I want more. And God, I've been praying for this. I've been asking you. And God's saying, what about what you already have? What about the things I've already done for you? See, we don't even, many times don't even stop to think about those things. See, and the reason that I bring this up here in Acts 16 is because I want you to realize is that Paul practiced what he preached. He wasn't just saying something in theory. He actually lived this thing out. And so really being, when I'm talking about being content, it isn't about being okay with where you're at. Because so many times we just think, well, you know, if I'm content, it just means that I'm totally this is just the way it's going to be. No, it, it, it's not really what Paul is talking about. Because contentment is saying, God, I'm okay where I am in this regard. I'm believing for you to work for me. Is that This is not the end of my story. Paul was praying and singing hymns saying, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I believe that you are a good and a faithful father and that you will deliver me in spite of my circumstances. So because I have that understanding, I can now be content in the middle of this prison. So being content is not just saying, well, this is my life. I guess I'm just going to love it. That's not at all really what is what he's saying. What being content is, is having a right heart or a right attitude regardless of the situation and the circumstance. 
It's keeping my focus where it needs to be, which is not on my problem, but on the one who can solve my problems. It's keeping focused and looking consistently to God. Why? Because many times we can't fix our problems. Look, there have been times that I have had to pray over myself saying, God, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I need your help. I don't know what's wrong. I definitely don't know how to fix it. But I, I, I want some help. I need some help. And, and so even in these moments and when we're challenged with, with life and with desires and things that we see and these longings that we have, I believe the key to seeing God's best is simply coming to a place where you say, God, I'm, I'm trusting in you. I'm content in this moment. If nothing ever happens, I don't care. As long as I have you, that's the most important thing. And that's where sometimes we get off. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 gives us some instructions. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, always be joyful. Always be joyful. Well, I don't feel like it. Which tells me that joy sometimes is not a feeling, it's a choice. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. He says, be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now I want to give you one specific distinction here from verse 18. He says, be thankful in all things, not for all things. There's a big difference. Oh, well, you know, we're just struggling. The Lord's just trying to help us out. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say I have to be thankful for the situation I may find myself in or the circumstance. I don't have to be thankful for sickness. I do have to be thankful when I have symptoms in my body that I have a God who's a healer. That's the difference. I'm not glorifying the work of the devil or the work of the enemy in my life. I'm not going to say, well, you know, if God wanted to bless me, he would just bless me. Well, no, maybe God knows that if he blessed you, it would ruin you. God will never bless you beyond your ability to handle it. And that, I don't mean just even financially, I, I, but that's an area. But here it says to be thankful in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. Not everything that happens in life is, well, God's just a sovereign God. You can never figure God out. God has revealed himself through his word. I don't have to wonder who God is. I can look. The Bible says if he, he's not a respecter of person. So what does that mean for us? It means if he did it for one person in the Bible, he will do it for us. Well, what was Jesus' reputation? I mean, if he's the ultimate reflection of God the Father, what was Jesus' reputation? Over and over and over throughout the Gospels, we, we read and we hear, he went about doing good and healing all. Went about doing good and healing all. He went about doing good and healing all. So we have a good heavenly Father who does what? Who does good and heals. If that's who Jesus was, and he was, and he did all of those things, he was simply reflecting to us the nature of the Father. So God does good things and he heals. That's who he is. And so even in that, we don't have to wonder when uh, circumstances, situations rise up. God didn't send them, therefore I don't have to be thankful for the circumstance I may find myself in. But what I can always be thankful in is the God that I have, the Father that I have, whose child that I am, who I belong to. Where I know, regardless of what happens in this life, where I will spend eternity. 
I mean, if you got nothing else, you can say, I'm not going to hell. Because this life is but a vapor. It's but a moment. But eternity's forever. That's a long time. Like, well, how long is forever? It's beyond what our mind can comprehend. There's no way for us to understand it. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The second part of verse 2. Paul's giving some instruction to Timothy who's the pastor of a flock. And he says, Timothy. He says, teach these things and encourage everyone to obey them. Teach these things and encourage... And so he goes on in verse 3, he says, Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. As believers, you know, we're supposed to live a godly life. I mean, God actually has some expectation on the other side of the cross, on the other side of salvation, that, hey, he actually has a, a standard that we're to live. And I know that's not always real popular in the day in which we live because everybody wants to set their own standard. Well, the problem is, is God has a standard, and that's the one that we're going to stand and be judged based off of, not ours. You know, we have this, you know, and people may say it different ways, but, well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Well, we don't get to determine those things. In this life, maybe. But when we stand before God, it's His standard that matters. And His standard is a godly lifestyle and a godly way of living. Now, drop down with me to verse uh, 6. Paul makes the statement. You can read it later, but the in-between verses there, basically Paul said that people are living for God as an attempt to try to get God's blessing. That's where he's context of what's going on, but for the sake of time, I don't want to read all this. But in verse 6, he says, yet, so in spite of that there are some people who are simply serving God, trying to accumulate wealth, he says, yet... God or true godliness with contentment is itself great gain or great wealth. Godliness with contentment. Some of our contentment would be taken care of if we would just live more godly. Because we want things that God doesn't even want in our life. So it's important. It's not just living content. It's actually saying, God, I want to live a, a holy, a set apart life unto you. Doesn't mean that I've got to be crazy, weird, and, you know, people just think I'm nuts. You know, there's a, uh, a group of people at one time that they were called the Black Bumper Christians. And you want to know why? They, they painted their bumpers black. Now, this was 50 years ago, 60 years ago, because they thought chrome was flashy and ungodly. <laughs> Literally. This happened in America. They painted their bumpers black, flat black. Because they thought it appeared to be gaudy. I'm not painting my car any color. Like it, it is what it is. But yet many times we can even have desires. And yet that, that really that God doesn't even want. And yet so here he puts godliness before contentment. So we need to live godly. So that we know the areas in which we need to be content. Because there are some things in my life that the Lord has just said. You don't need to worry about that. Okay, but I want it. And he says, yeah, but it's not good for you. That's, gonna, that's not going to produce in you what, what you think it might. 
He says, so true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth or great gain. He goes on in verse 7, it says, After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything uh, with us when we leave it. So if you have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Now, how many of you have ever gone, let's just be real honest, for how many of you have ever gone and stood in front of your closet and looked at your closet full of clothes and said, I got nothing to wear? I think all of us, man, I ain't got anything to, do do you not have the closet with clothes hanging? I mean, because I've been places where people only had one outfit, no shoes, a shirt, and a pair of shorts. And mind you, they had no air conditioner, no heater, no, and they lived in a cardboard box. So... Maybe I shouldn't make ignorant statements like I don't have anything to wear. Now, I don't mean that to be ugly. I'm just saying that as a a reality. I mean, we are an abundantly blessed people. Abundantly blessed. And you're like, yeah, but I'm poor on whose scale? Because see, what you're doing is you're comparing by what you know I mean, you know, we, a couple of years ago, me and Dara went to Haiti. It's the poorest country this, this side of the earth. They live on like 30 cents a day. I mean, it's crazy how, I mean, and it's, you know, I mean, poverty is just unbelievable there. It's, there in the Philippines, probably the two most impoverished places I've ever been. You know, just... Uh, I can't even put it into words. It's, it's just crazy. Well, we don't realize how blessed we are many times. I mean, the fact that you're sitting in a heated room. There's lots of churches I've been to that are just poles and a metal roof that leaks. And when it rains, you just get wet. There's no lights. There's no sound. There's no nothing. You don't talk because if you do... You can't hear what's being said because there is no amplification through a sound system. I mean, I've been to church services where their instruments were all handmade. There was no piano. There wasn't even a guitar. It's like fishing string on a rope or on a stick, I mean. I mean, it kind of challenges you in this area of your life. It's like, whoa, shoot. I have way more. I mean, you know, like this is something kind of funny. But in most countries of the world, they're blown away when you tell them, I own a car. Just, I mean, that just blows, they're like, you own a car? They're just blown away. Oh, well, I have two. You're crazy rich. Crazy rich. Oh, you live in a house? Oh, my gosh. Like, you, you have, a, like, you have milk in the fridge? What's a fridge? Because they have no way of cooling anything. I mean, it's all dry storage and dried goods. and I mean, it's just unbelievable. And yet, for us, if we're not careful, we'll just think, well, look what I don't have. Look what so-and-so has. Why don't I have what they have? That's between you and the Lord, ultimately. But... At the same time, what about realizing all of your blessings? 
all of the things that God has brought into your life. He says here, he says, look, if you have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Verse 9, he says, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. He says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. There's nothing wrong with money. Money is amoral. The same money that would be used for any type of sinful activity is the same money that could be turned around and to feed an orphan. Money is not, doesn't have morality to it. Money is a tool to be used. It's strictly worldly. It's, it's for this world. When you get to heaven, you're not going to have your debit card looking for an ATM saying... It's not going to matter. I mean, the only reason our money matters, our American dollar even has any significance, is our military ability to hold it up. So it's just paper. We put so much stock in those things. It's just paper. I mean, you know, when 2008 hit... The housing bubble popped. There were people jumping out of windows in New York to their death because they had lost millions of dollars in a moment. Huge fortunes that they had amassed were instantly in one morning gone. And their solution was, my life's over. And so they killed themselves. Why? Because exactly what it says here. Many people who loved money, they would fall into a temptation with many foolish and harmful desires, ultimately led to their destruction. He says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. See, if we aren't careful as believers, we can become so... Um, and, I try, and I try to be very careful with this. Because I, 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 never, I never want to be motivated by money. Not as the pastor of a church, I definitely don't. And I want to make sure that I'm a faithful steward with anything that the Lord brings into our church. But what can happen is, if we're not careful, we'll turn even our giving into a method for, to bring about God's blessings into our life. And exactly what he says here is that when you believe that, you're, that the blessing that God brings into your life is totally dependent upon your giving, you have set yourself up because what? You're craving more money. That's why I always I try to say it as often as possible. We don't give to get. We give so the kingdom of God can go forward. God is not my slot machine. He is not my ATM. Why? Because exactly what it says here is that people craving money have wandered from the true faith. Because in a pursuit of what we call God's blessing, people have actually walked away from genuine, pure faith. Because they say, well, you know, things are great. Things are going well. The economy's good. I'm, I, my bank account's full. Praise the Lord. I love you. And then they lose all that money. And then it's like, what was all that talk about God? Why? Because that, they were never truly content. Their source was their income, not the Lord. Well, that can be true of all of us. We're all subject to this. And just because you've tackled this monster one time doesn't mean it won't come back. It's something that we constantly have to watch and, and pay attention to. See, Thanksgiving for Paul 
wasn't just a once a year celebration. We celebrate Thanksgiving. One of my personal pet peeves is I hate, 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 hate that we do Christmas stuff before Thanksgiving. I can't stand it. Now, you look, you may love Christmas. These people over here love it. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Just, just Christmas threw up everywhere and they love it. I'm not against it, but I'm like, man, let's just get past Thanksgiving. You know, like, let's at least get past that moment. You can do whatever you want in your house, okay? I just. If you want to decorate in October, go for it. Knock yourself out. Just a person. Just don't invite me over in October, please, you know. No, for Paul, Thanksgiving wasn't just a once a year celebration. It was a daily reality that had changed his life and had taught him how to be joyful in every situation. It was an all the time understanding and knowing. See, so many times what God does for us if we're not careful, can end up getting our focus off, if you will. You know, Jesus made a statement in Luke chapter 12, verses uh, 13 through 15. A group of people approached Jesus and they asked the question. And they said, uh, Rabbi or teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus responds, says, friend... Who made me a judge over you to decide such things? And he said, beware, guard against greed or covetousness, is actually the proper word there. It says life is not measured by how much you own. Beware of covetousness. Now, we don't use that word. That's not a word that we use in our vocabulary, and that's why I like the New Living Translation. It says beware of greed. Greed is this unquenchable appetite. More, 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 more. That's, that's what greed is. And we have to be careful. Now, actually, covetousness is defined as actually this word, or it's actually this. Because, we, I mean, even greed, it really doesn't communicate properly what Jesus is even talking about here. When he uses the word greed or covetousness, what it actually means is to set your heart upon, to give ten, attention in your heart. Towards something, and that it would, in a, in a sense, let me say it this way: it's something that breaks your focus from what really matters onto something that doesn't really matter. That's what covetous greed will do. If we can only be thankful when we have everything that we want, we really haven't developed Christ-like character. Now that's challenging. I think. I mean, it's challenging for me. I don't know if it is for you, but if I can only be thankful and content when I have everything I want. I have some areas in my Christ-like character that I need to develop. See, nothing can turn us into bitter or selfish or dissatisfied people more quickly than an ungrateful heart. You ever been around somebody who was bitter? Just mad at the world? If you really want to throw them for a loop, just say, hey, tell me one good thing in your life. You totally throw them for a loop because they can't. Why? Because they're so focused on what has, how they've been wronged or how things haven't gone their way that they can't even see the blessings in their life. Therefore, because they can't see the blessings, now they're robbed of their joy. Well, Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So if you don't have the joy of the Lord, you ain't got no strength. And the enemy's got you. 
He's got you right where He wants you then. Romans 1.21 says this, and God actually said that these people were wicked people. It says that, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him or even give Him thanks. People who knew God, but they would not worship Him and they would not give Him thanks. They thought they knew more. They thought they were wiser even than the Lord. See, gratitude, having a gracious heart, having, and, and I believe that comes from the place of being content in our heart and in our life. It's, it's exactly what I said earlier, is that contentment is about having a right attitude and a right heart, regardless of circumstances, regardless of situation. Now, I know that I'm talking about stuff because it's the most easy thing to touch on when we're talking about this subject, because everybody likes stuff. I mean, if every one of us were honest, we would probably say... If I could upgrade my house, I probably would. I mean, if I could do it for free, somebody said, hey, I want to give you a new house. Okay, I'll I'll move into a bigger house, nicer house. But that's not always the best things for us. But one of the areas that we can, and and I believe that this is one of those, uh, that we can find out where we're at is how thankful that we truly are. And I don't mean just in church or just in public I mean like when it's you and your own thoughts. Do you have a heart of gratitude? Like when God blesses you with something, is your first attitude, yeah, it's about time. Been praying a long time. Or is there a humility that comes and says, God, thank you. Thank you. I mean, like, let's just make it real practical. Let's say you're believing God for some money because you got a bill due tomorrow. And somebody blesses you with some money that's going to help you to pay that bill. Is your first thought, I need to go pay this bill? Or is your first thought saying, God, thank you for coming through for me. Thank you for blessing me. Because our first response should be to thank God. Because He's the source. He may have used somebody. He was the source. Now look, and I understand I've been there where it's like, oh, thank the Lord. There's so much pressure lifted off. I can pay that bill tomorrow. Praise God. I've been there. I I, I fully understand what I'm saying in that statement. But what about being thankful? What about having that that gratitude of of turning to Him first? I want to give you, just real quick, five things that you can be thankful for, that all of us can be thankful for today. These are practical things. Five areas, if you will. I'm not going to take much time with these. But if you're like, man, I just don't know anything I can be thankful for. I'm about to give you five things. And these are for all of us. They apply to everybody. So, you know, I usually don't make stereotype blanket statements, but these apply for all of us. I already shared about this one a little bit. But number one, if you've got nothing else to be thankful for, you have this to be thankful for. For the material blessings that God has blessed you with. If you live in a house, you're blessed. If you have clothes, if you have shoes on right now. By the way, the majority of the world's shoes are a pair of cheap flip-flops. Like really cheap, like less than a dollar flip-flops. That's the normal shoe in the world, if they have any. I'm going to, you know, we're abundantly blessed. We got work shoes and church shoes and yard shoes. And like, I mean, we have shoes for different things. Like, oh, those old ratty things? Yeah, we are abundantly blessed 
materially, and we ought to be thankful for that. We shouldn't feel guilty for it. It's not like we did something to be born here. But just because of that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be thankful for it either. We ought to be thankful. We ought to. God, thank you for all of the blessings that you brought into my life. Here's the second one. So we can all be thankful for the people that God has put in our life. We don't have to be thankful for everybody. Some people are just pains in the rears. I'm not going to be thankful for them. Praise praise God that you're working on them. But you know what? There are people that God has placed in your life for your blessing and for your benefit. When was the last time you said, thank you, Lord, for my friends? Thank you for my family. Thank you for those people at, at the church that were there for me when, when I wasn't doing well and they just kept loving on me. Thank you for those people. I mean, I've had to live this out real practically. Because there was a time when I was getting, you know, we were in our transition time leaving Kansas that I was just frustrated. And I'm so thankful that my dad, I was talking to him one day and I was just frustrated. And, and he said, David, he said, Pastor Jim's been good to you and that church has been good to you. You need to be grateful. And he was right. It's not what I wanted to hear. But he was right. Because they loved us. And they cared for us beyond what they ever knew. They had no idea. I would not be where I am today. I would not be standing in this pulpit if it was not for that church. That loved me, supported me, encouraged me, prayed for me. They had no idea. And yet even all of that, there was still this, ap- this ability for my heart to want to be, I don't want to be here. I need, to, I need to move, I need, and yet I needed to be able to maintain that heart that says no, and I needed somebody, which was my dad that day, to say, David, you need to be thankful. Don't forget who was there for you. Don't forget who loved you. Don't forget who's walked with you. And it, and it can happen. So you've got to be thankful for the people in your life. Now this one may seem a little odd, but you'll understand in a moment. Even in the midst of trial and persecution, we ought to be thankful. First and foremost, because God is with us. Even in the midst, just as Paul and Silas were in the midst of a prison, even after their beating, even after all of these things, God was still with them. God was still listening. God answered their prayers. God responded to their worship. And deliverance came simply because they had an understanding that God, you'll never leave me. So even in the midst of chaos and dysfunction and all of these things, we can still be thankful because God is with us. The fourth one is this, and and this is one that's, I don't know that we could ever fully grasp or understand this side of heaven, but if nothing else, we can always be thankful for our salvation. We can be thankful that Jesus came and stood in our place because we rightfully deserve to hang on a cross for our sins. The Bible says, look, he didn't hang on the cross for his sins. He did it for our sins. He wasn't beaten and bruised and for his mistakes. He was standing in our place. I mean, if, if you haven't read Isaiah 53, verses 3, 4, and 5, recently, go and read them. Why? Because that's what Christ did for us. I mean, where it says that he put your name. <laughs> I deserved this. I deserve to be beaten. I deserve to be whipped. I deserve to be crucified. But Christ stood in my place. 
so that now I get to walk in the fullness and newness of the life that He has for me. So, I mean, we can be thankful for that. The fifth one is this, is that we could always be thankful for God's continued presence and His power in our life. The Bible says He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. We should always be thankful. We should never take God's presence for granted. Like, oh, we just come to church and we worship and, you know, and the atmosphere feels awesome and it feels like God's there and it's amazing. And, well, that's just what we do at church. Well, that's not the case everywhere. We should never treat it casually. Man, that God's here. The Bible says we're two or three gathering His name. He's in the midst. Well, I didn't feel anything. Yeah, but God's here. Well, how do you know God's here? Well, He said He would be. I don't have to feel Him for Him to be here. I mean, that's what He said. If a couple of you get together, whether you're at the church or whether you're eating lunch somewhere, whether you're at somebody's house, if a couple of you get together, God says, hey, I'm there. His presence is there. Yeah, but I didn't feel nothing. You don't have to. You could just say, God, man, I thank you. I had a great lunch with a couple of my friends from church today. I thank you that you were there. We had a good time. We laughed. It was a good little break from the stress of my work day or whatever it may be. And I'm just thankful. These are all areas of our life that we can seek to be and, and I believe will help us to stay in that place of contentment. Because we want to live lives of thanksgiving to God. We want to live in that place all the time. 